Hey there, you're listening to the Soul Survivor New South Wales podcast. Here is some great Bible teaching from our More Than a Song 2016 conference. Introducing Matt Destry speaking on the life of David. For more information, go to our website, soulsurvivornsw.org.au. Enjoy! Our guest speaker tonight, would you like to welcome Matthew C. Destry? Thank you, Matt. Sam. Now, uh, for those of you who've come along tonight, uh, Math is taking us, I just called you Math. Math. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Matt. His mate's names are Bio and Fizz. Oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I did Math 2 Unit. <laughs> I did uh, Maths in Society. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> Okay. Um, it's let's one move. up from Matt's in space. Matt. Matt. Yeah. I like that one too. Okay, Matt, uh, for those of us who haven't met you yet, uh, where do you come from and what do you do? I am uh, currently living in Melbourne where I'm the creative director at a church down there called Discovery Church. Yeah. And your family? Yes, I have a beautiful wife called Jodie. Um, we've been married 15 years. Hey, hey. A, um, Eight. That's lovely. Yeah, thanks. Yes. And two children, Lucy, who's nearly nine, and Finn, who is seven. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, Matt is bringing us the journey this week of looking at the life of King David as we uh, explore what it means to worship God with a guitar and a shovel. Have you got your Bibles? Have you got a pen? Have you got some paper? Or have you got some digital device? And have you got expectation with God that God wants to have a chat and minister to us tonight? All right. I'd love to pray and then, Matt, go for it. Let us all prepare our hearts to prepare our hearts for God. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your stories that breathe life into us. And into the story you're creating tonight, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and anoint matter fresh. And anoint all of us as one tonight, God, to go on this journey together with you in your name. Amen. Hey, everyone. So, 1 Samuel 17 tonight. Let's give it a cheer for 1 Samuel 17. Woo! You guys have worked really, really hard over the last couple of nights, and we've made it all the way from 1 Samuel 16 to 1 Samuel 17. So you should be really proud of yourselves. That's quite a journey that we've made over the last couple of days. We've learned over the last couple of days that David was out with the sheep, that he, was, he wasn't even considered to be the king, uh, considered for kingship when uh, King Saul was rejected by God and he sent the prophet Samuel to, to, to anoint a new king. Fill your horn with oil, he told the prophet Samuel, and go and anoint one of Jesse's sons, for I've chosen him to be king. We learned that, that, that God has chosen you and he's given you a job to do. And then last night we learned about the power of worship to change an atmosphere. We learned about the fact that we've been called as the people of God to go and serve. We learned how David went from the paddock all the way into the palace and what it's like to swim with sharks. Who who remembered that one? That was only yesterday. So um, it feels like such a long time ago, but it wasn't. So, we, so we're now landing in 1 Samuel 17. And this is the story that on the first night 
when I said to you, what do you know about King David? Everyone went, Goliath, everyone Goliath. And so guess what, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, drum roll on your knees. Tonight is Goliath night. Yeah. It's Goliath night, ladies and gentlemen. It's the night that we get to talk about David and Goliath. It's that story that we tell whenever we talk about a little guy going up against a big guy. It's the story that we tell every time that the little Aussie battler goes up against the big corporation. It's the story that we tell. Oh, it's a, it's a David and Goliath story, this one. It's the one where the, where, the, where, the, where the little fighter comes through in the end. Now, that's sort of the way that the Bible tells it, but it's also sort of not the way that the Bible tells a story. And so we're going to look at that in just a minute. So 1 Samuel 17, and here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokar in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demimimbunin between Sokar and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. Can everyone say Elah? Say it a little bit more like cruisy, Elah. Yeah, the Valley of Elah. And they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites the other, with the valley between them. You can see it. It's perfect for the movies. You've got, you've got, one, you've got one army on one side of the hill over here. The Philistines are over here, valley. And then over on the other side, you've got the Israelites. But they're also, even though they're on one hill looking at each other over the other hill, they're in the Valley of Elah. Does anybody know what the Valley of Elah means? It means distress and anxiety and fear. It means distress and anxiety and fear. So the Israelites are camped in a place of anxiety and fear. I'm not sure if you've ever had an experience where you've been so anxious, so fearful that it's reduced you to doing nothing. You know, we talk about fight or flight, but there's also the third option, fight, flight or freeze. Has anyone ever frozen before because you've been frozen in fear? That's exactly what happens to the Israelites right now. They're camped. They are camped. They are literally stationary, stopped, without movement in the valley of Elah. They're frozen. And we learn as well that not only are the Israelites frozen, but their king has been reduced to passivity as well. It's one of the things that happens with King Saul over and over. It's so frustrating when you read the story because Saul, he has such an amazing, he has such an amazing future. And God's saying, come on, Saul, I want you to win. And every single time he takes a bad step or he does nothing, he's reduced to passivity. Now, when I was in year four, I went on a school camp and oh, those primary school camps, eh? Oh, yeah, good times, good times. We were, we were, um, we were like cool little boys and we were like, like deviant little boys and we thought what all little boys do, year four boys, when you're on your first camp, does anyone know what it is? At nighttime, we're going to... We're going to sneak into the, into the girls' cabin. That's right. We're going to sneak into the girls' cabin. And so, we, so all, of us, all of us boys were like, yeah, come on. We're going to do this. And I felt like, I tell you, I felt like, a, I felt like a Navy SEAL. You know, I had the black stuff under my eyes. I had a backpack on. I had a couple of sticks, you know, shoved down my belt just in case a wombat came at me. And we were going to creep through the night, creep through the night all the way to the girls' cabin. What were we going to do when we got there? Who knows? No idea what we were going to do. We would have just gone in and said, 
G'day, and then turned around and gone home again. Who knows what we would have done, but it doesn't matter. We were going to sneak into the girls' cabin because we were in year four, and that's what year four boys do. Well, that's what we did in our year anyway. So we were creeping, and I was creeping. I said, fellas, I got this. It's going to be better if I go alone, you know. Too many of you guys are going to create distraction. You guys, you know, you're going to make noise and all of that, and I'm just... I have to do this one. I have to do this one on my own, guys. And they said, oh, please call us when you get back. If, we're, if you're not back in an hour, we're going to call the police. Don't worry. I'll be safe. And I crept and crept and crept. And I was making my way through. And then all of a sudden, I saw the flashlight of one of the teachers in the distance. Dun, dun, what do you do when that happens? Do you turn back and run the other way? No. And I kept on going, move forward and forward. And then suddenly there became another light out of the side, like boom, just came on and like kind of surprised me. And so I dropped to the floor and I could see there was a light. There was like a, you know, like one of those lights that come down or that, that show where the path is. And the light came down. And it was obscured by a couple of trees. So it created a shadow on the ground. And so I contorted my body to lie in the shape of the tree shadow on the ground because I'm a Navy SEAL like that. I'm awesome. I'm in year four, sneaking to the girls' cabin, like super, like, you know, stealth, ninja, lying there like that. And the teacher does this, walks over to me and goes, Matthew, what are you doing there? And the most ninja, like, coolest ghetto response I could come up with was trying to find the toilet. <laughs> like that. The fear of getting caught reduced me to passivity and made me lie down like a tree on the ground in the shadow that made no difference when she just shined a torch on it. I wasn't even thinking that. But that's where Israel is right now. They are reduced to passivity and they can keep coming up with all these excuses about why they can't win. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you just feel completely immobilized. There's good news for you tonight. A champion named Goliath, verse 4, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Has, oh man, nine feet tall. Like he wouldn't fit through that door. He was at over nine feet tall, bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor, bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you not come, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man to come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. The Philistines said, this day I defy, remember that word defy, the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And now here they're in the valley of Elah. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who is the king, and all of the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Valley of Elah, they were dismayed and terrified on hearing the Philistines' words. Now, Goliath is an impressive human being. He's over nine feet tall. He is a, he is a big, big unit. I mean, this guy is, is 
unlike anything that anybody has ever seen before. He's been fighting since he was a baby. Before he could walk, he was throwing javelins through sparrows. He was just like, and then he, he was just, he was this huge, giant colossus of a thing. And what they would do in ancient times to save two armies completely getting decimated, they would pick one, one side would pick their best warrior, the other side would pick their best warrior, and it would kind of be like a game of video games, you know, that one would come down on this side, one would come down on this side, and the winner, it would save, it would save all the death and destruction. It would just be one-on-one. And whoever won the battle, that army won. And, then so, and so that's what he says. I'm the champion. I'm the biggest guy in, in, in uh, I'm the biggest Philistine around. Pick one guy to come down and we'll have a one-on-one battle. Whoever wins, that's, uh, that's the army who wins. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But Saul and the Israelites are completely dismayed and terrified. Why? Because Goliath looks huge. That's it. Now the thing is, the thing is, we think about it and go, oh my goodness, he is a monster. He is going to throttle anyone who comes down against him. But we already have the benefit of 1 Samuel 16. What did 1 Samuel 16 tell us? Do not Do not look at his appearance and his height, for I have rejected him. When they looked at Eliab, remember? And the prophet Samuel said, oh my goodness, Jesse, what a strapping young lad you have as a firstborn son. Eliab's got to be the next king of Israel. And God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man sees with the outward appearance, but God sees with his... Yes, he sees with his heart. And so we come to 1 Samuel 17, and it's the same story over again. We're looking again at appearance, and we're getting freaked out and frightened by the fact that this guy looks big, and he's defying the ranks of Israel. That word defy comes up seven times in 1 Samuel 17 by itself, just alone. That word defy comes up over and over. It also means to curse or to um, cast down, or to speak down to. It comes over again and again and again. So we already have this idea that, that appearances aren't everything. So we shouldn't look at this story like, oh my goodness, Goliath is huge, because we know that God sees with his heart. We know that it's not about outward appearance that wins the day. And the only one that seems to know this in this story is David. Now it goes on, verse 12, David was the, was son of an Ephrathite named Jesse. It's crazy, they start to reintroduce him. Hold on, whoa, we just learned about David in the chapter before. Why are they doing that? Well, because he hasn't said anything yet. We've, we could have even forgotten that he even existed. David's just this one, and so writer of 1 Samuel goes, hey, remember that guy in the last chapter? He was just kind of did a couple of things. I'm going to reintroduce you to him. Um, his, name's, his name's David, son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. He had eight sons. In Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. Firstborn was Eliab. Oh, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. The second, Abinadab. The third, Shammah. David was the youngest. For the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth to Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David is just the like perennial delivery boy. He goes everywhere to deliver things. He's like dominoes to the max. Like before there was dominoes, this is what David did. He'd just go back and forth, back and forth. Remember he did it? He did it in 1 Samuel 16. He went back and forth tending um, his father's sheep in Jerusalem, going back uh, in, in, uh, in the Judean wilderness, and then going back to King Saul to play the harp for him over and over and over and over. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, took his stand. 
Jesse said to his son David, take an ephah of roast, roasted grain, these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, hurry to the camp. Go and, go and do another errand for me, David. Take along these ten cheeses, ooh, cheese, ten cheese pizza, imagine that, to, um, to the commander of their unit. See how the brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So listen to this. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and sent out. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines. David leaves two things. He leaves his sheep with the shepherd and then he leaves his supplies with the keeper of supplies and runs to the battle line. He leaves his sheep with a shepherd. What has David done up until this point? What's his main occupation? He's a shepherd. He leaves his sheep with another shepherd. And now he carries his, his, his supplies are at the battle line and he leaves them with the keeper of supplies. He leaves two things behind. The two things that have defined David to this point are sheep and being a delivery boy running back and forth. He leaves them both behind in order to step into the next season that he has. What is God calling you to leave behind tonight? Imagine you could walk out these doors free, lighter, free of the things that have defined you to this point. What could you leave behind to step into something new? David leaves his sheep with the shepherd. Bye-bye, shepherd life. He leaves... His supplies, the supplies that he had, the 10 cheeses. Oh my goodness, what a sacrifice with the keeper of supplies. No more delivery boy. What does it need to be no more of from you tonight? And then we have verse 26. Because Goliath keeps on coming out, shouting at the ranks of Israel, I defy you, I defy your God. You guys are weak, puny, you've got nothing. You're in the valley of Elah, you are completely frozen. I defy you. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath comes out and shouts at the Israelites and taunts and mocks the God of, the God of Israel. And then verse 26, David speaks. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. David asked the men standing near him, and listen to this, because the first time that anyone speaks in the Bible, like the first, the, 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 the principle of firsts, anytime you see someone do something for the first time, speak for the first time, it gives us a big key into who they are and what, they, and what they're about. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should, here's that word again, defy the armies of the living God? David would go on to say, zeal for your house consumes me. David would go on and say, not to us, O God, but to your name be the glory. David would go on and on and on to declare the wonders of God and the glory of God because that is where his life was based. And the first words we hear out of David's mouth, the first precious words from this, from this beautiful man that goes on to say that he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart, is what will be done for this man who removes this disgrace and stops the name of God from being dragged through the mud? It's key to the passage and it's key to the life of David. And so David is, is spurred into action. You know, not 
every time that you get upset, it's it's not always a bad thing. Everything that's not you know you've been told being angry is wrong. Being angry most of the time leads you into sin, but every now and then you have an experience like this, and you go, "This is just not good enough. This is just not okay." And for David, when it came to the name of God and the glory of God, it wasn't okay that this big hulking Philistine would come out and completely blaspheme the name of God, tear strips off the people of God, and and David just wasn't going to stand it anymore. He leaves his sheep, leaves his supplies, and runs to the battle line and says, what will be done for the man who removes this disgrace? So, verse 28, when Eliab, oh, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. Listen to this. He burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are. Listen, this is his older brother. And how wicked your heart is. You only came down here to watch the battle. You can imagine Eliab. The tall, ravishing, handsome one, the oldest out of all of Jesse's sons. He's followed Saul to the war. David runs down and goes, what's going on, guys? Why isn't anybody addressing this issue that's right in front of us? Let's talk about the elephant in the room for a moment. He, he, he asks him right there and Eliab goes, David, what are you even doing here? Who did you leave those few sheep in the desert with? You had such a hard job, you couldn't even look after them. I know how wicked your heart is. You've come down here just to watch the just to watch the gore. You've just come down here to watch the train crash. You puny, pathetic human being. Why don't you go back to those sheep? Why don't you just go run on back? Because there is nothing going on for you here. Eliab represents Goliath before Goliath before Goliath. This is David's first test. And this test comes in the form of his own family. Eliab, who maybe had a little bit of an issue that he didn't get picked as the one who was going to be the next king of Israel. Maybe. We don't know. I know how wicked your heart is. And I love verse 29. This is such a classic, like, youngest son thing to say. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? It's like he got blamed every single time the soccer ball went through the window. Every single time a pot got broken, they were like, it's David. David's been out with the sheep. It was still him, you know, over and over and over. Now what have I done? Far out, man. Give me a break. Like, I'm just here, like, looking at this guy and wondering why all of you guys are just standing around doing completely nothing. Thing. And then, and he's like, oh, your heart's wicked, your heart's wicked. He's like, what have I done now? I can't, you know, he, it's like he can't stay out of trouble. <laughs> and then verse 30, he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. <laughs> he's just like kind of went on undeterred and asked, and asked somebody else what was going on. David then goes to Saul. David goes to Saul. He goes, okay, how are we going to deal with this? I know. I know, Saul. I've played harp for him a couple of times before. Did a couple of gigs, man. And so he goes into the palace and sees Saul and says, let no one lose heart on account for this Philistine. Your servant, as in that is David, will go and fight him. He says, hey, captain, put me in. Pick me. I'm your guy. I'm the one. I'm going to go in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'll fix up the situation. And go... And Saul, you're you gonna you want to go fight Goliath? Ah, David, you're so cute. You're so cute. 
Saul replied, verse 33, you're not able to go out to this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. From the moment he was in nappies, he was, he was chowing down dung beetles and then swallowing them with a centipede chaser. He's been doing this his whole life. This is how Goliath rolls and you've just, you know, you know. <laughs> You're cute, buddy. Thanks for coming in today. We appreciate your time. Saul represents Goliath before Goliath. He had Eliab first. You're, 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 uh, you're completely uh, insignificant. And then he has Saul that says, mate, you're inexperienced. I've seen your resume. I know you can play the harp all right, but you certainly can't hold a sword. But listen to this. I love what David says. David said to Saul, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because why? He has defied the armies of the living God. There's that word again. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now listen to what David says. David does not appeal to his skill in killing animals. He appeals to the fact that God was faithful when he was doing his job last time. And so God will be faithful while he does his job this time. God has saved me last time. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. As in he rescued me out of their hands. And now this Philistine, because he's defying the armies of the living God, he, God is going to to rescue me again. Now listen, when you face a challenge and you're coming up against something and you're thinking, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. The first thing that you've got to do is remember how God delivered you last time. Remember how God was faithful to you last time. Remember how He came through for you last time. Remember how His love supported you and carried you through the Holy Spirit that was lived inside of you and, and comforted and counseled you all the way through. And so God, what He did last time, He's going to do it again. He's going to do it again because God does not change. He's completely faithful to you. And David seems to be the only one in all of Israel that knows this. It's why we sing our songs, because we tell each other the story again. We tell each other the wonderful story about how Jesus came from heaven, left his heavenly abode and came down and took on flesh, skin as a man. He, he dwelt in human flesh and then he, he died a cruel sinner's death on a cross for you and me. He came back to life and was resurrected and now lives with God in heaven forever. And now we will be with him one day and we tell each other the story over and over, we remind ourselves that God is faithful. So whatever it is that you're facing today, you can know that as God was faithful last time, He will continue to be faithful into the future. That's what David says to Saul. I know he looks big, Saul, but hey, God doesn't see with the eyes as man sees. It's like David says to Saul, hey, Saul, don't consider his appearance or his height. Because God doesn't see as man sees. Man sees with the outward appearance, but God sees with his, with his heart. He knows my name and he'll be faithful again. 
So the story goes on. He took his staff in his hand. Saul goes, <laughs> all right, your funeral, buddy. Off you go. No problem. Sends him down there. He took his staff in his hand, verse 40, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Don't you love it? He approaches the Philistine. He walks up with five, sli- with five stones in his bag. Um, it, you could be a, a professional slinger. It was something that you could do. Ever, most, most Israelite boys would have done this. You know, they, didn't, they, weren't kind of playing, um, they weren't playing Flappy Bird on the iPad. They usually had a, they had a sling and they, were doing, they, they would like be outside most of the time and, and using their sling just as a, as a recreational pursuit. Anytime you, would, you, you had a, like an Israelite boy, he probably had a sling near him. And what they could do is take these stones, they could sling them at about 220 feet per second. So it was quite a high-velocity projectile that you would be able to flick out from this sling at something. And now, if you got really, really good, you could sling both hands. One hand that side, you could sling that hand. You could fire at 220 feet per second, and you could hit something that was about this big. You could hit an apple as it was flying through the air if you were really, really good. A little bit like um, like the archers are, you know, when you see the, all of those movies and you see Lord of the Rings and all of that. Slingers were a little bit the same as that. They were ranged weapons. So it was wasn't like David had no idea how to use this thing. What is this piece of string? He did, you know, it's, it's, he's got a little bit more of a clue than that. But he can fire this thing and he starts to approach the Philistine. Meanwhile, Philistine, verse 41, with his shield bearer in front of him. It's a bit unfair. He's got two verses. One kept coming closer to David. David looked over. And, uh, he looked over at David, my goodness, and saw that he was only a boy. Ruddy and handsome, all the ladies said, amen, amen. Just, just a little quiet, amen. <laughs> Saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. That's that same word, the defy word that he uses when he defies the armies of the living God. This is the same root word here. He despises David. Now, David has been, he's been counted out his entire, this entire journey so far. 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 17, nobody thought that he could do it. And the thing is this, David, he can't do it. (laughs) He can't. The odds, if you look at it in humanly speaking, of course it's not going to go well for him. But see, David knows something and has his hope and and, and his trust in something that, that nobody else seems to see. He said to David, am I a dog? That you come at me with sticks, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you the flesh, give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And now comes probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But what does David say? I come against you with a sling and five stones. No. I but I come against you in the name of of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, Goliath, have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Today I will give, I w- I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Don't you love David's passion? Don't you love David's heart? He's saying, it's not sword or spear, Goliath. I don't care. You can come at me if you want, because it's not even about, it's not even weapons. It's the fact that God is faithful to us. He's been faithful to his people, and and you're, you're dragging his name through the mud, and this is all about the Lord's glory. It doesn't even matter if I die or live because it's all about the Lord's glory. It's all about Him being lifted up. It's all about Him being made famous. It's not about our army. It's not about your army. It's about the Lord being made famous. Now, soul survivor this year, if your life was going to be about anything, if they were going to talk about you when you were no longer with us, would they say about you, He or she lived for the Lord's glory. Holy Spirit, come. Mm. It's just on the, yeah, cheers. I love David's zeal. I love his passion here. Because he shows each one of us that if there's going to be something noble, something deep in our hearts that we live for, that we give our lives for, surely it's got to be the glory of God. Surely it's got to be that his name would be made famous, that he would be lifted up, and that people at the end of the day would see you and they would say, man, only God could have done that. If at the end of your days, somebody can look at your life and speak over your life and say, only God could have done that, I think you've done well. And so we've gone through, what, 47 verses, and we still haven't had a battle yet. It's been all of this talking, my goodness. If you were watching this movie and, you know, like you'd just be like, gee, finally, when are they going to get to the good bit? Like, and it's all over in such a short space of time. It's a little bit like those sumo wrestling matches that you sometimes see. They walk around for five minutes, throw salt, sing a few songs, throw some more salt, line up, do that thing, throw some more salt, walk around. Now you think, oh, yeah, they're going to engage and they're going to fight. No, more salt, sing some more songs, you know, say a little a bit more, then they, they, they make some more commentary, and you're like, man, that guy's skinnier than the guy. I like his purple pants. Throw some more salt. He keeps walking around, and then finally they battle for like two seconds. Someone pushes someone out of the ring, and then it's over. Yay! Two more guys come in, throw some more salt. They walk around, and it just goes over and over and over. The point is that it's that the battle is almost just as much about what happens before it as what goes on in the battle itself. He, um, the Philistine moved quickly to attack, to attack him. Verse 48, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, thanks for the detail, and he fell down onto the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. I reckon we can cheer. Probably the only time you're allowed to cheer when somebody dies. Usually don't do that, just in this story. It's like, it's kind of impolite to do that most of the time. In this story, you are allowed to, though. Do you want to have, like, one more go? Because it's the only time you're going to get to cheer when somebody dies. Ready? I'll just read that last bit again. 
The stone sank into his forehead. He fell down onto the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Come on. (laughs) Now, how did he do it? Not with a sword, not with a javelin, not because he was strong, not because he was awesome, not because he was ruddy and handsome. Amen. It wasn't any of those things. The Lord doesn't see as man sees. The Lord sees with his heart. And when he chooses you and gives you a job to do, it means he's going to be faithful to you. He's going to go before you. He's going to fight for you. And that's the thing that you've got to remember. So when you're in the Valley of Elah, when you are completely stuck, when you're completely frozen in anxiety and fear, when all of those problems that are coming against you in life and the bills are piling up, when when your scores and your marks are down, when all of those things are happening, what is going to be bigger for you? The problems that are in your world or the God that you serve, the God whose name you want to honor, the God whose glory it's all about, what's going to be bigger? Because for David, that was the only, who was the only person who saw that God was bigger than Goliath. It's not about David having the power and the skills and the might and the strength to be able to defeat him because he doesn't do it that way. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. It's the name of the Lord and His glory. And He uses the weak and lowly to accomplish His purpose. In fact, I think that it's important that we are weak and lowly. They're the kind of people that God uses. He loves to work impossibilities in His name. It's, it's, it's God's style. It's the way He does things. The Apostle Paul would go on and say, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's what? It's the power of God. It's the wise people that get frustrated, but the simple who make themselves like a child are the ones who have faith. Over and over and over again, the Lord God would say, the battle is not to the strong and the mighty, but those who are weak And trust in the name of the Lord. And so this is how the story of David begins. It's it's as though God is rolling out his blueprint for how it was going to be with his son. He rolls out this blueprint in the life of David and goes, Yeah, see, this is the way that I work over and over again. He's not going to share his glory with anyone. He won't even share it with David. David has no glory in this story. David seeks only the glory of Jesus, only the glory of God. So why don't we stand together tonight?